0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this evening is taken from John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, and can be found on page 1081 of the uh, church Bibles. That's John chapter 13, verse 1, page 1081. and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you going to wash my feet?' Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher, and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them.
1: Jesus and the twelve disciples had uh, trudged along the dirty and dusty roads of Palestine and of, of Jerusalem particularly in order that they might observe the Jewish Passover. They were making for a prearranged destination, and when they arrived there, they sat around a table. Now, uh, they wouldn't sit as we might sit, Uh, they would recline on couches. Uh, You remember in Luke 7, when uh, the woman, the prostitute, came into the home of a Pharisee, And she stood behind Jesus, washing his feet. And so that would have been the position. And so they were sitting around the table. Now, normally, there would have been a servant provided to do that task. It was the most menial of tasks. But this was the busy period. This was Passover, and it seems there wasn't a servant available. And no one moved. And so you could have almost heard a pin drop. And then Jesus got up. And taking off his outer garment so that he was dressed only in the loincloth of a slave. He began to wash their feet. I think that is one of the most moving things scenes in the whole of the scriptures. And I want to speak very simply this evening of the love of Jesus and then the example of Jesus. So I think we need to pray. Let us pray. Father, help us now to go deeper into your amazing love for us, shown in the Lord Jesus Christ. And please, by your Spirit, work within us that we might leave determined to also follow his example for your glory's sake. Amen. So if you have your Bibles open... Uh, We're looking at the love of Jesus in verses 1 to 11. And John is immediately at pains to tell us what it was that Jesus knew at this point in time. He tells us that he knew five things. He knew his time. It was just after the Passover feast Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world he knew that the cross was imminent and then in verse 3 he knew his authority that the father had put all things under his power that he was the heir of all things and that one day every knee would bow to him and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And he knew his origin, that he had come from God, we're told. And he, had, he knew his destiny, that he was returning to God, to the glory that he had with the Father From the beginning of creation. And he knew, verse 11, his betrayer. And then we have the most astounding little word. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and began to wash their feet. In the light of all that he knew, He knew that he was God the Son. This is God the Son washing feet. So he got up and did just that. How is it that we first experience the love of Jesus? Well, we have this rather strange exchange between Jesus and Peter. In verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And then go on to verse 8, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. He just could not understand Jesus, the Lord, washing his, his dirty feet. And the clue to the understanding of that exchange is in that middle verse, verse 8. Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Later. Wait a little while, Peter. Wait till you see me hanging on a cross. And another day or two and see me risen from the tomb. And then for six weeks and experience the day of Pentecost when it's Peter that comes to the fore with such powerful preaching. Just wait and you will understand Peter. That what I am doing now is just a parable. It's just a picture of what I'm about to do upon the cross. And the reality behind the picture is so wonderfully put in Philippians 2. When Paul says, let this mindset be in you. I love that. That's the latest NIV translation. Let this mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Being in the form of God did not think it robbery. He didn't cling to all the glory that was his. He did not think it robbery to come amongst us, to be made man and ultimately die The death of the cross. That's the reality behind the picture. And Peter begins to perceive something of that. And you notice how the never goes to not just. You'll never wash my feet. And then not just my feet. But my hands and my head as well. Let me say something that you may regard as strange but I do think it's true no one can become a Christian unless he lets Jesus be his servant you see it is as humiliating for us as it was for Peter just put yourself in Peter's position that was so humiliating washing my feet and it is as humiliating for us to come before God as helpless sinners. We must allow Jesus to be our servant, to be our saviour. We have just sung a wonderful old hymn and there's a line in that hymn that has three F words in it. Foul I to the fountain lie foul have you ever looked into your own heart and really seen the foulness of sin the self-centeredness the pride the arrogance all the things that we should have done and haven't done foul And have you seen in the death of Jesus that fountain open for sin and uncleanness? And when you see the two things, there's only one thing you can do. You fly. You're in a hurry. You're desperate. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And when we see those two things, we're beginning to see something of the full extent of his love. And it may be that there are Christians and you've been Christians for many, many years, but just at this moment, you find yourself somewhat dried up inside, shriveled. Oh, I know that all too often. And I want you To just look at verse 10. Here is the clue, I think, to maintaining spiritual freshness. A person who's had a bath, says Jesus, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. If you had a bath and you go on a journey, particularly in that country, you'd only need to wash your feet. And so we need, as it were, to come daily, regularly to acknowledge our sin. And to confess that sin and taste again the wonder of his love for us. An old writer, uh, Krumaka, puts it like this. It's rather quaint language, but I think it's good. He's been speaking of the need for daily repentance This is letting our feet be washed in the sense intended by our Lord. And you will observe how refreshing and reviving is the act. And in the eyes of him who is possessed of true simplicity, this daily renewed repentance and the fresh experience of salvation which attends it is an exercise which is unspeakably sweet the inward man is thus renewed day by day and experiences a continued restoration. There are many Christians who know of no other nourishment for their inward life than the mouldy bread of long past experience. But no true inner peace results from this. Inward religion does not consist in a life of morbid security, arising from the recollection of having once received the forgiveness of sins. Why then would Jesus put it on the lips of his children to pray, daily forgive us our trespasses. He that is washed need not be again entirely washed, but only his feet And that continually. And that strikes me as a very wonderful arrangement. That God takes what I am so good at. Sinning. And he makes that the means. Of bringing refreshment and renewal day by day. We need to live under the cross. So much then for the love of Jesus. The example of Jesus in verses 12 to 17. Peter Collier has uh, reminded us uh, quite frequently of recent days of the one anothering scriptures in the New Testament. The duties that we have, the responsibilities that we have one towards another. Another. And here in verses 14 and 15, we have another, one anothering. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, I guess that many of us would dismiss this as not relevant because in our culture we don't go around washing each other's feet. But I think we've got to transfer it to our culture and it is any menial task done for one another. And I guess this is, there are 11 that I can make out, 11 one anothering scriptures in the New Testament. And then there's this one, the 12th man as it were, And uh, when you think of who said it and when he said it, perhaps it's the most important of them all. You see, the problem for the disciples was not Jesus' feet. Anyone, bar perhaps Judas, would have gladly washed the feet of Jesus. The problem was the other 22 And I'll tell you why it was a problem. Because Luke in his gospel tells us what they were talking about around that table. They were discussing amongst themselves who it was that was the greatest. Can you imagine it? That's why they were glued to their seats. No one could get up. That would be to acknowledge servanthood. Dwell above with saints we love is nothing short of glory. To dwell below with saints we know, ah, that's another story. And it is, isn't it? Now, two pieces of really good news. Jesus wants us to be great. And then he redefines greatness. As far as the disciples were concerned, greatness was to have servants. And Jesus says, no, greatness is to be one. And I want you to notice that Jesus serves without any loss of dignity. Verse 14 Now that I, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet did he lose dignity not at all we will never lose dignity by the most lowly menial expression of love for one another and the other good news is this Jesus wants us to be happy and then he redefines happiness I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. It could be translated happy. You could be blessed if you do them. Now those of you uh, who can cast your minds back to the 1950s, Uh, I won't look down this side (laughs) or up there, (laughs) but there was this great tension uh, on the island of of Cyprus, division in Cyprus, and quite regularly on our television screens, black and white, we uh, had a a man called Archbishop Makarios. And uh, he had a long, black, bushy beard and always looked so solemn. In fact, he looked miserable. Makarios is the Greek word for happy. (laughs) When I learned a little bit of Greek, now I always remember that. What a contrast. Makarios. Now, the disciples regarded happiness as getting to the top, Others looking up to you, perhaps envying the things that you have, the latest gadget. Oh, that's really satisfying, isn't it? And Jesus says in verse 17 happiness is to know something and to do something. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You have got to know that happiness is a byproduct. You seek it and it eludes you. And it comes through service and sacrifice. And then you've got to do something. You've got to do the ordinary little things for his sake and in his name. Like the lady who put up at her sink divine worship three times a day. That's a good way of looking at it. And that servant mind will often break down barriers in evangelism. I was thrilled a week ago, I think yesterday, uh, following through the UCCF prayer diary to hear of what Brighton had been doing. The student union in Brighton, they had put on an event called Dial a dishwasher. Now, I have heard of dialing all kinds of things, but this was a new one. And I thought, well, that's wonderful. When you dial a dishwasher, you're not going to get a machine, but you're going to get students who are ready to see, perhaps there's been a week of of, of dirty pots, as it were, piling up, and they've got to do it. What a wonderful door of opportunity. I... uh, remember a a, a wonderful story that Stuart Holden used to tell of a a sergeant major that he knew of, a sergeant who was a a very, very larger-than-life character. He described him as an effervescent Christian. And uh, so he asked him how he'd become a Christian in the first place. And I'll read his story. There is a private in this company, he said, who was converted in Malta before the regiment came to Egypt. We gave that fellow an awful time. On one terrible night, he came in very tired and wet. Before getting into bed, uh, he knelt down to pray my boots were soaked with water and covered with mud. And I struck him on the one side of the head with one. He went on praying. So I threw the other on the other side of his head. He kept on praying. And then he said the next morning. I found those boots beautifully polished. And standing by my bedside. That broke my heart and my resistance and soon I became a Christian. What a wonderful way of opening the door for the gospel. And Peter learned that lesson that day and I'll tell you how we know if you look up 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, Peter has been talking to the elders. And now he addresses all, all. And he says, all of you be clothed with humility. And that word, be clothed, is a loan word. It's only here in the New Testament. And it literally means put on the apron of the Greek word actually means something that is wrapped round you and tied at the back. Put on the apron of humility. Peter, where did you get that word from? Ah, oh, it was that day when my Lord stood before me dressed in the loincloth of a servant, a slave. Peter got the message. But you know, if you are like me, You will make excuses for yourself. I've got too much on my plate at this present time, too many family commitments, so much to do, exams to prepare for, gardening to do, peak period for grass and weeds, and so we can put it off, can't we? Then I come to the very beginning of this passage. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. The shadow of the cross was over the table. That was what was on his mind. What an amazing example to us, isn't it? Or Sometimes you say, They've sometimes let me down in the past. Why should I bother? And I read at the end of verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus knew that one would betray him that one would deny him, that three would sleep when he craved for their human fellowship in Gethsemane, and ultimately all would forsake him. What a run lot they were. And sometimes we might say that of the church here, they're an odd lot, down at Christ Church forward. Well, dear friends, we are an odd lot. I once remember two uh, pastors talking at a pastor's uh, conference, and one of them said, because you begin to compare notes, how many members in your church? He said, 30 and some odd. He said, well, that's very strange, because we've got 100, and they're all odd. (laughs) Now, I have met some delightful Christians And it's just wonderful to know them. But there's some oddballs, isn't there? There really are. But the point is this. God has thrown us together in the same family. God has done that. There are those perhaps you wouldn't choose to socialize with. Well, that's all right. But we're together in it. In it together. In the town of Barnstable, going back a good few years, there was a pastor by the name of Robert Cleaver Chapman. Um, And he ministered in the Baptist church there to within two months of his 100th birthday. And he was a phenomenon in many ways, but he had a great heart of love. Those of you who know anything about the early history of the Brethren movement... Robert Cleaver Chapman held them together so well in love. And they looked up to him. It's told that once, on one occasion, he got a letter from abroad to Robert Cleaver Chapman, University of Love, England, and it found him wonderful. And on one occasion, a very awkward person came into the church membership. And the people, knowing the example that had been set, went out of their way to accommodate this man and tried this and tried that and so on. And in the end, they went in despair to their pastor. And this was his reply. Ah, brother so-and-so, he is a most valuable brother. We did not know our need of patience till he came amongst us. (laughs) Those who deserve love the least often need it the most. Now I have an imaginary badge. I'd love to have made it actually or to get it patented but I haven't been able to. It's a cross. Not a crucifix. a cross with a towel draped around it. The cross to remind me of the extent of Jesus' love for me, and the towel to remind me of the example that he set. The cross and the towel. We're to live, as it were, under that example. Now, as we close this evening, I know that many of you will know John 316 and you love it God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son but you know the logic of John 316 is one John 316 and that reads like this this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's the logic of that immense love that God has shown to us.